From RTE Radio, I'm Neil O'Sheridan. This is Playback Daily. Former Irish President Mary Robinson and the atomic scientists unveiled the latest doomsday clock, which has been reset to 90 seconds to Armageddon. Some of the people's sons, daughters, husbands, wives, uncles, aunts, or guards are so. Some of them, it, it could be you. I could actually clamp you, Joe. Yeah. What would happen then? It's as close as architects will get to a festival. <laughs> <laughs> Coming up on this edition of Playback Daily. Repent, the end of the world is nigh. Imagine you're in a lift trying to hold in wind. And look out, look out, the clamper's about. That's all on the way over the next hour of the radio catch-up show. That's oh, terribly sorry about that. The doors will be opening soon. The musings on the news, or musings, if you will, on this morning's Ryan Tuberty show began with Oliver Callan, sitting in for Ryan, telling us about his adventures in shopping yesterday. I went to a supermarket and a fella comes up to me and says, wait now, who is it that you are? You know, I get these questions sometimes and I turn bright red and I suddenly became interested in the gluten-free section, you know, where the bread stays on the shelf for six months. And uh, so he's, he's, he's still looking at me. He's refusing to let me go down the aisle. And he's sort of, he's looking back at me and he says, you, you are Nevin Maguire. And I went, well, you know, I could be, I suppose. Now, this fella, he's fairly thick glasses and he's one of those people who kind of leans back to look at you, you know, like a good tailor might. And uh, then he said, I don't mind if you are. And so he went off home convinced and delighted himself that he just met Nevin Maguire. Now, to add to the strangeness of this situation, I was literally shopping for a recipe by Nevin Maguire. So I had this moment where, is he reading my mind? And um, surrounded in a duns by gigantic photographs of the real Nevin Maguire. And this fella just just thought I was Nevin Maguire. Anyway, he was very happy with himself. Uh, I made my Sri Lankan curry and um, entirely unrelated, I went for a run that afternoon. Okay, that was my day. So hello to a fella who's gone around saying, yep, yeah, met Nevin Maguire. Very weird fella. I'm sure he's saying shops in the gluten-free section. So there you go. That was my, that was my afternoon. And songs will be sung about it too, no doubt. Onwards to the startling, well, okay, somewhat unexpected news that... Weeds are back in vogue. What? Were they ever in vogue? No, weeds are now being rebranded as hero plants. Where else? Only the Chelsea Flower Show, which is famous for kind of rebranding junk and kind of ugly, weird parts of your garden as really cool. But anyway, the Chelsea Flower Show 2023, uh, horticulturists are announcing that weeds is a derogatory term. Uh, Weeds is not good. We must refer to these plants as these resilient plants or indeed weed heroes or super weeds, which is kind of odd because it already has, still has weed in the title of it. Uh, So anyway, they're kind of referring them as weeds and the, the plants that are in the wrong place. And uh, some people are kind of claiming in the the Royal Horticultural Society that actually weeds tell you what's going on underground. It's your advisor. It's your friend, they're claiming. So if you've loads of nettles in your garden, there's a message, the soil is rich in nitrogen. Fat hen, which I had to look up. I don't think there's a lot of fat hen here. Maybe I'm mistaken in different parts of the country. Uh, fat hen, which you can eat at them, uh, by the way, is not a good weed. So that's one that should be removed um, uh, to prevent it taking over basically. Uh, Weeds incidentally remind me of my last time in here because Tom Bawn, the adventurer and survivalist from Tipperary, was making nettle tea and pine needle tea and all sorts of uh, nice things from the earth. 
And so he'd be all about the nettle. I actually don't mind nettles in the garden, actually. If you've got a messy bit of the garden, nettles are kind of, the, you know, the one with the white flower, but they don't sting you. They're grand. But anyway, apparently uh, thistles and bramble are going to be okay. Now, there's a lot of people into their gardens who are shaking their heads at the bramble because they can grow a couple of centimetres a night, particularly if you're trying to cut them back. They'll respond very strongly, very hard to get out, obviously, because they get into the soil and so on. And of course, the, the, even the even the Chelsea Flower Show and the horticulturalists are drawing the line at plants like Japanese knotwood, knotweed. That's the one you have to get in and you have to inject the um, the actual roots, which causes all sorts of havoc. Um in uh, for, uh, for Irish rail and so on. Yes, I say bramble because this is obviously about the Chelsea um, flower show. Briars, we call them briars, and they pull the arms off you. But they do. Briars do produce raspberries and black uh, red currants and all those nice, all those nice things as well. That uh, blackberries in in August. Uh, so you know they they can look pretty at that time of the year, but you just don't want them in your garden. Ivy is the one that drives me mad because it's very hard to break down and cut and all of that. But anyway, uh, sorry, there are no longer weeds, so you're going out to remove the resilient plants and the the hero plants, all right? But look, it seems as if we can just let the garden go to pot because, well, apparently the end of the world is nigh. The Irish Independent tells us this morning, Alison Bray is writing about the doomsday clock. You know, that's the thing was created by the US-based Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists back in 1947 to illustrate how close humanity has come to the end of the world at various junctures in our history. It began 1947, so it was seven minutes to midnight. And this is immediately after... America dropped two atomic bombs in Japan. We were entering the Cold War phase of post-World War II uh, world. And so people were quite worried. So seven minutes to midnight. Even by 1962, it was still seven minutes to midnight because the Cuban Missile Crisis had happened and so on. The safest we've ever been since 1947. When do you think it was? We were 17 minutes to midnight. They were very optimistic about the future. 1991. The Berlin Wall had come down, the Soviet Union had gone through perestroika and glasnost were opening up and everything. Everyone was very excited about the world. Everything was hopeful. So little did we know in 1991 what a beautiful world we were living in and how hopeful we were. Because yesterday, former Irish President Mary Robinson and the atomic scientists unveiled the latest doomsday clock, which has been reset to 90 seconds to Armageddon. So there you are now. As threats of nuclear war, climate change and disease have been exacerbated by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we have moved 10 seconds closer than it has been for the past three years. So there you go. Uh, Go about your day thinking about the end of the world. But, you know, still the bins have to be put out and the dishwasher has to be emptied and Nevin Maguire has to be spotted in supermarkets, even when he's not there. So this is... is these are the things you really think about. But you can knock yourself out and drive yourself demented uh, by thinking about end times. Glorious, glorious end times. But the news that Fox News host Tucker Carlson was fired yesterday should be a good thing, right? Well, this is a positive thing. I would have thought the doomsday clock would move slightly, you know, further away from midnight, considering that Tucker Carlson, who's about one of the worst things ever happened uh, to news, truth and journalism in the world. And the context is important, is important here, because this is significant for the American elections taking place next year. Um, Tucker Carlson was the host of the most watched TV show in all of America, which is an enormous thing to say, because cable news, as they call it, is massive. It is the number one way people still get their news in America. 
It's shifted significantly um, across Europe and other places. But you forget that broadband isn't so great in parts of America, particularly in those red states that vote Republican in the Midwest and in the South and so on. Uh, They still very heavily rely on their news. And Tucker Carlson regarded as a kind of a super nerd on minute by minute audience analysis. He kind of knew what made the Republican voters tick. And um, he he would flam up kind of Trumpian lines, out-Trumped quite a lot. I'll give, read you the description that the New York Times had put in him last year. Mr. Carlson has constructed what may be the most racist show in the history of cable news and by some measures the most successful. Though he frequently declares himself an enemy of prejudice, his show teaches loathing and fear. Night after night, hour by hour, Tucker Carlson warns his viewers they inhabit a civilization under siege. He's embraced the great replacement theory, the idea that Jews and Democrats want to replace white people with non-white voters. After the murder of George Floyd by police officers in 2020, he belittled Black Lives Matter protesters as criminal mobs. He downplayed the January 6th attack on the US Capitol, uh, selectively editing footage as he tried to frame the insurrection as a peaceful movement. He decried a so-called crisis of manliness, airing a special that promoted using tanning therapy on testicles. This is the sort of stuff, stuff that uh, that he was doing. He is gone and done now. And the uh, the Guardian is telling us, well, they're actually reporting on what's been said in America, that he was fired directly um, uh, from a decision by Rupert Murdoch, the 92-year-old Fox owner who we all know. And um, he only found out himself, Tucker Carlson, 10 minutes before it was announced. Let's just have it. Here's a clip of Tucker Carlson in 2019. So it was 2019, it was just been a mass shooting in El Paso in Texas. Uh, the man was allegedly motivated by anti-immigration hatred. He killed 22 people, wounding dozens more. And this was such a, such a step too far that even President Trump, who had said earlier previous attacks that they were good people on both sides, including white supremacists. He spoke out finally against white supremacy under pressure, uh, calling it racist hate. But Tucker Carlson actually disagreed with Donald Trump. Here's, here was his views on white supremacy on the biggest news show in America. The whole thing is a lie. If you were to assemble a list, a hierarchy of concerns of problems this country faces, where would white supremacy be on the list? Right up there with Russia, probably. It's actually not a real problem in America. White supremacy, that's the problem. This is a hoax, just like the Russia hoax. It's a conspiracy theory used to divide the country and keep a hold on power. That's exactly what's going on. He's gone and done now, Tucker Carlson. That's the end of that. And that has to be good news for news, except it is still Fox and that 8pm primetime slot. Um, they're basically rotating different presenters to see who's going to be the person Rupert Murdoch describes as the best... The best um, uh, I wouldn't call them journalists, the best presenter for, for that, for stirring things up for them. Although Oliver is delighted by the news of Carlson's firing, somebody should maybe tell him that Carlson will turn up somewhere else, likely worse than ever, maybe even the White House. And whoever replaces him at Fox News will be just as bad, if not worse. Sorry to wreck your buzz, Oliver. But wait, there's some good news for us. Apparently, children are reading almost 25% more books than this time last year, according to a major study across the UK and Ireland. People's read 27 million books in the 2021-2022 academic year, which is a quarter up. And researchers found social media trends such as the BookTok community on TikTok helping children engage with books such as Alison Osman's popular Heartstopper series, which is made into... Uh, 
TV show now as well. And uh, there's very good news. So kids are reading much more and it's social media, which we decry all the time, is apparently leading that charge. And TikTok of all places. Now, there is a little warning here in the report. It says, while average book difficulty rose as pupils became older, it's not in proportion to the rate at which pupils should have been improving in their reading. So in secondary school, pupils are still reading books at almost the same level of difficulty as in primary school. So that is an issue, even though there's lots of young adult uh, kind of transition books from uh, middle grade, as they call it, into adult reading. Uh, great stuff. I, I gave my nephews Promise Boys, The Promise Boys, which is a murder mystery set in the school. And it's good for that bridge, kind of 15-year-old uh, young fellas, if you're looking to get them reading. But Philip Pullman's series, everything he writes, uh, are kind of cross-age grades. The Sally Lockhart detec- detective series, which don't get much of a look in. Uh, or you could just give them adults' books and have a little chat at home and go, you know, there are some you know topics that... That kids, as we call them, young adults, can read. I started, I think John Grisham was the first thing I started reading about 15, A Time to a Kill, all about racism in the southern states of America. Did me no harm at all. <laughs> perfectly normal. Uh-huh. And that's a perfectly normal place to end the musings on the news. Or newsings, if you will. From this morning's Ryan Tuberty Show with Oliver Callan. Now, motorists are paying up to €175 extra in their premiums to compensate for uninsured drivers over five years. New figures also show that over 10,000 claims were made for accidents caused by uninsured drivers. Despite this, insurance premiums are falling, but are they falling fast enough? This morning, Claire Byrne spoke to Peter Boland, Director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, and to Dara Cassidy, Head of Communications with Bonkers.ie, And Claire asked Peter Boland if insurance premiums are falling because of new guidelines for compensation awards. Insurance premiums are falling, that's correct, but they're not falling nearly fast enough. So if you look at all the data that the central bank published yesterday, uh, the numbers are enormous in terms of the impact of the insurance reform programme that the government have in place. So even in terms of the insurers themselves, the kind of settlements that they're making under the new judicial guidelines are down 34%. The number of claims per annum happening over the last five years is down 42%. Uh, So these are massive reductions. And yet the reduction that motorists got uh, for the first half of last year was 5%. So it is nowhere near enough. And essentially this has been happening all along. Uh, the insurers have had to be dragged um, fighting tooth and nail into the reform process Uh, and now that it's happening what we're seeing both on motor and on liability insurance is that uh, they are passing on some of the benefits on motor uh, but the benefits of the rest of it is going into their back pocket. But she was saying this morning that one of the big problems is that most cases, 40% of cases are going through the courts which leads to higher costs and marginally higher awards, whereas only 13% are going through PIAB. Yeah, well, historically that has been the case and uh, it's taking a while, as we expected, for the judicial guidelines to wash their way uh, into litigation and through the courts. And ultimately what that will mean is that there'll be absolutely no point in heading into litigation. This is a historic issue in Ireland where uh, plaintiffs were promised more 
if they brought the case on to litigation. Now, that has turned out not to be the case when the data was produced, uh, but essentially what's happening now is that uh, the old historic cases are washing their way through the system, and in the meantime, the insurers are using this as an excuse for delaying on the reductions that are coming through PIAB and through their own direct settlements as well. Mm -hmm. But do you expect once those historic cases do wash through the system that we'll save more when it comes to what we're paying for our premiums? Oh, I would expect those reductions to come in straight away, Claire, because uh, the cases that are heading off towards the courts at the moment have already been priced into your policy. Um, and so your policy is supposed to reflect future risk and the future risk is uh, dramatically lower than it was three years ago and, and that has not been reflected in the motor premiums and it's even worse on liability where last year uh, average liability premiums were up by 14%. Mm. So you're saying we shouldn't be doffing the cap and saying thank you sir for the 5% reduction. It should be much higher. It should be closer to 30%. Absolutely. And uh, what we're seeing is the result of years of low levels of competition. And the government have recognised this and have set up an insurance competition office. Now, that office hasn't yielded any results yet, uh, and that can't happen fast enough for policyholders. But what about volatility in this market? The fact that we have seen companies leaving the Irish market, is that not an indication that perhaps all is not rosy in the garden from a provider's point of view? Well, yeah, we did an analysis of those stories over the last couple of weeks. And yes, insurers have left the market, but it's very seldom, if at all, that they've left because of difficult trading conditions. There have been other issues, including incompetence and mismanagement uh, and much broader issues in terms of uh, the likes of Quinn Insurance. Uh, so typically what we have seen is that the stalwarts of the market have done very well out of Ireland. And so the threat of insurers leaving because this is not a profitable market doesn't really bear any scrutiny at all. Now we uh, mentioned there earlier and we read this this morning in a separate story about the cost of uninsured drivers Peter policyholders facing costs of €175 this is over a five year period and that's to compensate for people who don't pay at all what do you make of that figure? Okay, well, the figure for a start uh, is €35 Euro per annum. So it's uh, it's been bulked up over five years um, for whatever reason. But I, we, we, we can certainly subscribe to that figure. It sounds reasonable at €35 Euro per annum per premium. Uh, but the big question here is uh, what the insurance industry is looking for is very significant investment uh, from government in terms of the introduction of automatic number plate recognition and the legislation that goes with it. So government has been asked to do an awful lot. Uh, the public are being asked to engage on this and do an awful lot. But the big question is what commitment are insurers making if this is delivered? So we've seen it time and time again, for example, on insurance fraud, uh, where the demand uh, was that the Gardaí set up an insurance fraud unit. Uh, and the implication at the time was that about 20% of claims were fraudulent. And that number was uh, brought into the Oireachtas committees on a couple of occasions. When the Garda unit was set up, 
the number of cases being referred to it is minuscule. Mm -hmm. So out of an average of about 30,000 cases uh, of personal injury claims per annum over the the last five years, uh, 85 cases have been referred to on Garda Síochána. Okay, that's a fairly extraordinary figure. Peter, stay with us because Dara Cassie from Bonkers.ie is with us as well. So Dara, you will have heard Peter saying there that the 5% reduction in premiums, that's welcome, that's great, but it should be much, Mm -hmm. much higher. And he's talking about 34% or thereabouts because that represents how much settlements have come down by from the industry perspective. Yeah, I mean, good morning. I'd agree with most of what Peter is saying. Having said that, I'm not sure you can draw a direct line or a direct parallel between settlements and the cost of car insurance because there's other things that are factored into the cost of car insurance. The figures from the Central Bank in some ways are a little bit out of date so far because they're for the first half of last year. As most people probably know, the CSO, the Central Statistics Office, looks at the price of insurance on a monthly basis. And according to the CSO, insurance costs, car insurance costs, continued to fall in the second half of 2022. And as listeners will know, there were very, very few things that were falling in price last year. We've record rents, record energy, record food prices. So the costs have continued to go down. And actually last year, car insurance premiums were down by around 12%. That's continued into the first three months of this year. So there has been a reduction, but the reforms are still quite new. They're still washing their way through the system. Yes, we want to see and we should see car insurance premiums fall even further, but it does look like they're doing that. Like I said, if you look at the CSO figures, they are down by over 10%. Um, but, but, you know, it's not just the insurers, it's the law body as well. It's the, you know, the, the, the lawyers, they fought a lot of these reforms as well, tooth and nail, and um, they're still discussions in the courts as to the legality of the existing reforms. So we'll see how that all plays out. So the government really needs to keep on top of this. Okay, and then we have the story about electricity prices. And I read on the front of the Independent today that electricity prices here now are the most expensive in Europe, according to Charlie Weston, who's the personal finance editor. And he's looked at the household energy price index across Europe and it shows him that we're paying more for electricity than other European countries. How surprised, Dara, are you to see that this morning? Not at all. We've always had high electricity prices for many, many years in this country. Our gas prices are much closer to the EU average, but our electricity prices, according to Eurostat, have been around maybe the second or the third most expensive for several years. And this latest report, taking slightly different data, shows that we now have the most expensive prices. Um, They're quoting a figure of just under 50 cents per kilowatt hour, including VAT, which would tally with the prices that Bonkers compiles, that Bonkers.ie compiles, um, the cheapest price out there is around maybe 43, 44 cents per kilowatt hour. Yes, we're number one. We're number one. Oh, that's Dara Cassidy, head of communications with Bonkers.ie, talking along with Peter Boland, director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, to Claire Byrne this morning. Architect. I'm sorry, Starkitect Dermot Bannon joined Ray Darcy this afternoon to talk about the annual Open Door Initiative for Simon, where punters get a chance to consult an architect and support the work of the Simon community. There's always great buzz about it, being an architect, because you get people on Instagram and sharing kind of consultations and what they do. So it's as close as architects will get to a festival. (laughs) (laughs) As possible. How long has it been going? Uh, 19 years. So, wow. Yeah, so next year is our 20th anniversary. Um, and I've been actually doing consultations each and every yes. one of these 19 years. Did you years. do a radio interview for the first one? 
Uh, no, I wasn't the ambassador for the first one. Right, okay. Because I, I wasn't in television 19 right, years okay, ago. Right. I'm only 16 years. I'm only just a 16 little... 16 years in television, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so uh, I wasn't... Uh, I think Angela Brady did it back then, but... Uh, so I'm I'm an ambassador for about 14 years, okay. which is still long enough, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Uh, and it works like this. It works like this. So basically, architects up and down the country are giving up their time for free and they're offering consultations to the general public. So that's... You can go in and ask them absolutely anything. You know the way there's people at home and they say... I'd never no, my problem isn't big that's enough that's a stupid question yeah, that's yeah, a stupid yeah. question so you can make a 98 euro donation to the Simon community and you get an hour with an architect to shoot the breeze to talk to them about a big project a small project a, a heating system or loads of people are talking about the grants and the grants retrofitting stuff, and all and that retrofitting yeah. the Creekona I've done webinars with the architects Creekona tell us about that one just that's the one that was today you know that's yes. the ve- ve- derelict homes um so I'll, 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 so we'll come to that. We'll come yeah. to that. Okay. So, we'll but, so basically, so you make a ninety-eight euro donation and you get an hour with an architect okay. anywhere. And so they, they've architects up and down the country. And what's I suppose? Look, in days gone by, that was always the ones in Dublin sold out really quick, or in urban centres like Cork and Limerick. It doesn't really matter now because if if there's no slots left and there's somebody in Donegal, take it. You can do it online. Uh-huh. You can email them up drawings. Yes, they'll send you back stuff. So it's really easy to do. And your aim is to make how much money? Oh, I'd love to make I'd love to make one hundred and fifty thousand this right. year. But, um, and what have you done in previous years? We're we're up to nearly two million over the because yes. it kind of slowly went from forty thousand to fifty. We've I think our biggest so far was one hundred and forty thousand. Okay, so you'd like the, the one hundred and fifty thousand yeah, mark would be yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. as you say, it's a great opportunity for people out there. And as you say, every year I yeah. could do this interview without you. You probably could. <laughs> <laughs> You've great memory. No, 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 no. <laughs> come, prepare. come, come, come prepared. Come prepared. Come prepared. So yes. bring photographs of your house. Just look. And, and back in the day, people had to go and take. Uh, photographs on a camera get them printed out so get find out where North is if you've got any kind of a plan so if you bought a house you might have the original brochure everybody hangs on to this in a file if not just do a quick sketch of it on a piece of graph paper or, or line paper or just take loads and loads of photographs fill your phone because you can swipe through them when you're in, in, in the consultation and uh, the more information we have the more we can uh, we can offer and go in with an open mind because that's okay. what you know it's a chance to talk to somebody and give them fresh eyes on your project In your experience your own personal experience and yeah. talking to other architects yeah. What, what do, do do some people just come along for the chats? <laughs> some people, yes. <laughs> They do because, or they have a very small problem, and they, they they've decided to make their ninety eight euro donation. Yeah, anyway, to, yes. And so they and you come in and it's about a heating system or yeah. it's about something, and you've their problem solved in five minutes. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then you just have the chats, yeah. and it's lovely, and yeah, it's lovely yeah, yeah. because they're you know I suppose they're all here for the same purpose. Some people, yeah, they'll make the donation then, and they mightn't even turn up for the consultation. Okay. They're happy to make it, but it's uh, so look, it's a brilliant event, and I'd love as many people as possible to support it. But it's great because you can actually get something really tangible from it. So today, more announcements. So there are loads of grants available to people. Yes. And we've seen you use them Absolutely. on Room to Improve. Yes. Yeah. We've used the SEAI grants and actually... We, that's yeah, that's, S- that's, that's the, the, the retrofit, the deep retrofit. Okay. So that's so a terraced house is about 25,000, uh, semi-D is about 28,000 and a, a detached house is about 30,000. Right. That's towards your house to upgrade it. There's also individual grants if you're just putting in a heat pump or if you're upgrading your insulation. So there's money there. If you're, are the trades people there? They are. 
They right. are. Yeah. Look, we, we've never had a problem. We've, we, you know, and... Uh, it, when you say we, as in Room to Improve, we've never had a problem. in the practice. Okay. Like, we do a lot of them through through the the, the, uh, the practice. Uh, we put them through the SEI scheme. Um, look, most contractors, good contractors, are registered. So you just need to use a registered contractor. Okay. Change a little bit this year in that you have to go through the one-stop shop system, right? Um, and that actually makes it easier for people who only want to upgrade their homes, right? If, you're, you, know, if you only want to upgrade... So the, you're not doing extension or anything like yeah. that, yes. If, it's a little bit harder if you are doing a extension you have to find a one stop shop who will do extensions as well right. and so the percentage of them is a little bit smaller but a bit of ringing around So the one stop shop are people who are exclusively doing retrofitting Absolutely okay. and and but also like when we were doing them on the show we were acting like the one stop shops we were we were doing the pilot scheme for SEAI and we, we were just doing it in a very public way that's all changed this year the one stop shops have come in it's really easy for people okay. you ring in a, they come out they do your BER they'll do your assessment they'll do the specification they'll apply for your grant they'll okay. build it they'll get your it's really easy now so anybody who's doing it any- is the, still the problem isn't it that if you have whatever how much it costs yeah. you know between 30 and 60 grand to yeah. spend on your house you retrofit it and it looks exactly the same yep. after you've but spent the money it feels totally different right. it, it like I don't know we, we retrofitted our house when yeah. we were doing it I know you can go around in shorts and t-shirts all year round what's wrong with <laughs> Why do you say no, that in no, such no. a derogatory way? No, it's great. It's brilliant. I'm delighted you for you. Do you want a big blingy window no, with it, no, do you? No, I'm delighted for you. I'm actually delighted for you. I, I'm so delighted for you. Yeah. Too but, great a yeah, yeah. But, but it, it is that thing, isn't it? Yeah, you it, can't. It's, 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 it's a, a difficult thing. one for people it, if they have that amount of money to spend on a house. To wonder, to, 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 I suppose. But if you're living in a freezing house, and I don't, everybody seems to be talking this year about the cost of oil, the cost yes, of heating. Yes, yes, they are. My poor old mum is turning off everything in the house. Uh, if you, I've, I have the I've highest, got, the highest cost of electricity in Europe. Yeah, they're telling us. But I've gone to my mum's house and she's. Uh, I've sat there in my coat because she, yeah. she won't turn it on. She, ah, she said it's grand. It's that's. Yeah. It, but that's. She's that worried about energy costs, and and so are a, a huge amount of the nation. Our politicians have to get get their act together on that one. So we are 20, oh, 23 cent above the EU average when it comes to cents per kilowatt hour. Really? Yeah. Are we that high? We're that high. Wow. Because I know we... I think so it's, it's, it's 40, 49.9 Ireland and the, the lowest one is Hungary, 9.2. Ray was listening to Today with Claire Byrne this morning, I see. That's Ray and architect Dermot Bannon talking this afternoon about the annual Open Door for Simon initiative and also about retrofitting, energy prices and not being able to take your coat off in Dermot's mum's house. There's an organisation in rural Ireland called See Her Elected, or She, which aims to get women more involved in local politics. On this morning's Ryan Tuberty show, Oliver Callan spoke to programme manager with She, Dr Michelle Marr, and student Monica Murphy, ahead of the launch of Introduction to Local Government for Women classes. Oliver began talking to Michelle. Towards the end of uh, 2019, Longford Women's Link, this amazing, amazing social enterprise down in, in Longford Town, uh, uh, put an advertisement out. They were looking for somebody to manage this new See Her Elected, the SHE programme. So I applied and I started work on, I think it was the 4th or 5th of January 2020. And to be honest with you, I had great plans, but to be honest with you, I can't actually remember what they were because like the rest of the world, COVID put a, a coaching ah, horses yeah, through yeah. them. So uh, we had to make a very rapid change and, and just move everything online. And from that she school or see her elected school uh, was born from that decision to move everything online. And you're running there and you're, you're training uh, the likes of Monica mm-hmm. here beside us. Monica, what's your, what was your path towards politics? Um, I, I, 
I work quite a bit up in up here in Dublin and I was in the car one morning back in 2019 and I heard um, Leo Varadkar on the radio at the time talking about the importance of women going to local politics. Yes, um, right, and, right, NB, that's, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> getting elected. <laughs> and um, I'm originally from Manor Hamilton in County Leitrim and, you know, it's fair to say that our house wouldn't have been politically, you know, we wouldn't have been particularly political. Um, and so I, I remember kind of agreeing with him as you do when people are on the radio and thinking, yeah, yeah it is important for women to get more involved in politics. Um, but I, I kind of found myself saying, well, he's not talking to me. He's not talking to women like me because I don't have any political affiliations. I, um, you know, I don't have any family connections in politics. Um, and and then I kind of thought how silly that sounded. And I started to question myself and thinking, well, why why wouldn't it be me? You know, mm. why wouldn't it? Uh, why wouldn't he be talking to me? Um, I'm self-employed. I'm a mum. So I, I've, you know, I I. I've kind of had a wide experience of life and I probably would make a good politician as anybody else. So I started to kind of question myself and then um, I suppose looking into it then looking online and came across the She School and signed up for some of the classes and um, I've been a student now of Michelle's for almost two years. Very good. And when you went searching, were you looking particularly for a woman who might be motivated and get you into this or was it sort of anyone? You, you look for any route into Well, I started looking at some of the statistics around women in local politics and in politics in general and I was, you know, um, that was the first time really I'd ever looked, you know, really gone after that information and I was like oh my god this is really these numbers are really low like um so I was looking for is there any support or is there any sort of way of uh, of getting some sort of information on how to become because you just don't know you're just like looking at the internet going do I have to join a party yeah how do I get on the ticket how do I actually get elected um so it's so that's where I think it was well timed because she school was just kind of born around the same time as my (laughs) political awareness very fortuitous yeah so so um I've been attending classes ever since that every month. And and Michelle, that kind of thing about politics uh, coming into, you know, the route, if you go into the party, first of all, you can be gobbled up by the machine, can't you? What's the difference between going through your route, the she school? Well, we, we I mean, we're very much a political space, but we are not a political party mm-hmm. space. Yeah. So it's a nice, uh, clean kind of environment. Yeah. So, you know, so there are, uh, you know, there's women in political parties that are women are thinking about going um, as independents. And, you know, that's their own business. We're equipping them. We have a, a set of values. And so long as you're in accordance with our, our, our values, share the same values as see her elected, you know, you're, you're very welcome in. And Monica was alluding there to the small numbers yes. of women. And that's really why Longford Women's Link and a group of activists up in the northwest who call themselves 50, 50, 50 Northwest, you know, the reason that they w- went to look for f- to for, you know, sustained funding for mm-hmm. a programme that would be specific to rural Ireland. Because we'd had the 2019 local elections. Yeah. There'd just been a single woman elected in Longford. Uh, in Donegal, there's 37 county councillors there. There's only four women there. Um, Monaghan in your own county there's yes. only two women uh, out of yeah, 18 indeed. there at the moment and there's been a long run of yeah, nothing but yeah, that, it w- it? and it wasn't that the 2019 local elections was some sort of a, a blip in the system you know there's an entrenched pattern of very little women in our county councils in 
rural Ireland, uh, in Donegal, there's only ever been 11 women since the formation of the state, only ever 11 women, including the four that are there at the moment, wow. elected. And Monaghan's the same, only 11. Yeah. In a county like Monaghan's home county of Leitrim, there's only ever been six women elected to the county council there. So It's uh, phenomenally bad, isn't it? And this is dramatic improvements on what went before, even even that these even with these low numbers. Yeah, it's it's been sitting there for a while with with no improvement. But you know, in comparison to Dublin, I mean, overall there's about twenty five, twenty six percent of our county councillors are female. But those numbers are very heavily skewed by the four councils in Dublin, which are oh, half and half, fifty fifty there and thereabouts. And even the counties around Dublin, you know, Louth, Wicklow, Kildare, Meath, um, they're they're you know, a third heading for 40%. But yeah. it's a very different story in rural Ireland and that's why See Her Elected will always have that very strong focus on our rural county councils. Go on to dubs. <clears throat> that's uh, Dr Michelle Marr, Programme Manager of She, See Her Elected, talking along with She student Monica Murphy to Oliver Callan this morning. Bad news, everybody. Apparently gel polishes for your nails can cause problems, new research has suggested. Claire Byrne spoke this morning about this to Dr Deirdre Buckley, dermatologist with the British Association of Dermatologists. So this is a a new problem. Is it something that you wouldn't have seen 10 or 20 years ago, but you're seeing much more of it now? Yes, that's correct. So up to 15 or 20 years ago, the people we used to see with allergy to acrylates or masacrylates similar chemicals. Uh, They were few and far between. They were mainly people working in windscreen repair, airline, aircraft repair industry, some dentists and people making uh, checkbooks, printing. Um, And we really weren't seeing anybody where it was involved in some sort of cosmetic procedure. None of those. Mm -hmm. And the actual first report of it was in in the mid-90s in the medical literature of a single person who was working in the cosmetics industry, a nail technician um, from Scandinavia. And, um, but it was known that you could have an issue from nail salons as far back as nearly 50 years ago in the US um, because they, they banned a chemical called methyl metacrylate in nail cosmetics. That's the one that's found in orthopedic bone cement. So here in, in England and in Ireland, because I work closely with my colleagues in Ireland, we've been seeing large numbers of people for the last 10 years or so. And they're all women. And they are either working in the cosmetic industry, in a nail salon, or they're going there regularly, or sometimes they're doing it themselves at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so in answer, is it new? It, it is new. <laughs> yeah, c- can you tell me a little bit about that chemical? What is its function when it comes to nail bars? Well, there are a number of chemicals involved, and they're all in this group called mesacrylates. Um, they, one of the common ones is hydroxyethyl mesacrylate, and because that's a bit of a mouthful, it's known as HEMA for short, H-E-M-A. But there are a lot of other ones as well involved, and each polish will have more than one chemical in it. Um, in theory, if you buy such polishes in, in a, a pharmacy or something, um, they should be labelled as to what's in there on the label. Um, if you go to a salon, of course, you'll have no idea. Uh, and th- those chemicals, um, they, when they're in their liquid state, as they're painted on your nail, they are sensitising. 
but then they are supposed to be hardened with an ultraviolet light. That's known as curing. And that cross-links the individual chemicals. And so in theory, it should make them hard and then it, it shouldn't be allergenic. But what happens is that the curing process with the light often doesn't take place properly. So this ultraviolet light is either not strong enough or it's not used for long enough. And that's, can, that's what can lead to problems. That's part of it. So there are a few issues. The wrong light may be used, literally the wrong wavelength. It may not be used for the correct number of seconds. So it's a different number of seconds depending on which polish. The light uh, may not have enough watts. The light has to be at least 36 watts. In a salon, there's a good chance, chance of the number of watts will be high enough. But it's possible, depending on the training of the technician, that um, you know the correct length of light might not be used. Obviously, one hopes that it would be. Certainly a big problem is with people doing home nail uh, cosmetic applications where they might be using a different light for different polishes that they've bought, which weren't bought with the original kit, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No longer the matching light. Um, even if the correct light is used and it's all done correctly in the salon, there's going to be cross-contamination of the skin. Obviously, the technician is trying not to get it on the skin of the client, but that will inevitably happen. Um, also, uh, bits of polish may be getting on the towels and the surfaces used, uh, you know, other sources that then could touch the skin, either of the nail technician or of the client. But something's happening to cause this sensitisation. And what happens? What does that allergy look like? What does it feel like? So what happens is that normally in the salon, you feel completely fine if you've had your nails done. Nothing at all happens. And the first few times that you have it done, you'll be fine. Um, the the uh, what you might find then that, that there are different possibilities. A lot of people I see have been having it done for about a year regularly when they get sensitised, but obviously that varies. It's never on the first occasion. Um, if you're reacting, you, the reaction will happen perhaps the day after, a couple of days after, once you've been sensitised. Uh, you may notice that you're getting very itchy on your face. You get a rash on your face. Your eyes might swell up, the eyelids. Uh, you might get a, a rash on your neck. And the rash might take a week or two to go down. It might peel a bit on recovery. And then your skin will go back to normal. And you'll be fine for however many days or weeks it is until you go back for your next nail treatment, your nail cosmetics. And then, of course, it'll come back again within a day or two. Probably the problem will get worse each time. You may not realise what's causing it because you might be completely fine around the nails on your fingertips. But there are people uh, who notice instead or as well that they're getting very itchy, red scaly splits on their fingertips or little blisters or their nails might loosen and begun to come off at the far end. Sometimes the nails loosening is the only thing that you might notice that your, your nails seem to be going a strange colour at the end to get paler and that they're coming off. And can this happen, Deirdre, with any type of polish that is hardened using a UV light or an LED light? That is correct. And there are also methacrylate nail polishes that don't require ultraviolet light at all, or that's what they say. So anything, any polish that has a, an acrylate or methacrylate in it is potentially sensitising and the chemicals will cross with, with, react with each other. So when we patch test somebody, they don't just react to one. They're allergic to several mm-hmm. related methacrylates. So you can't just avoid HEMA, for instance, which some people are doing. And the problem goes beyond having an allergic reaction, the itchy face and the peeling skin, which, as you describe it, it's not very pleasant, but it can have far-reaching implications for somebody. 
That's right, Claire. So um, if you stop doing the nail cosmetics, you will get better. And if your nails are falling off over about a year, they'll grow back to completely normal. But the issue can be if later you go to the dentist and they say you need bonding done in your teeth, which is a coating on the outside to make it look better, repair chips, uh, sort out the colour of your teeth. And they use ultraviolet light on that. And that's a very similar substance that will contain probably HEMA, something else called ethylene glycol dimethacrylate. And these are related chemicals. Also, if you have a white filling, they use um, bonding material in sealing in the glass components of the filling into the teeth. And most of us nowadays have had a white filling. So not everybody who's allergic to their nail cosmetics would have a problem with fillings. But when you do, it's a, it's a huge issue. Again, you can get facial swelling. I had to test somebody recently who had become sensitive by using home kits during the COVID lockdown. And she brought in the chemicals from her, her dentist that they were going to be used on her teeth and she got blisters all over her back from them. So she's unable to have her dental treatment and she won't be able to just go to a different dentist or shop around because it's going to be the same sort of chemicals used for those procedures in all the dentists. The unexpected news that gel polishes for nails can lead to lifelong allergies. That's Dr Deirdre Buckley, dermatologist with the British Association of Dermatologists, speaking to Claire Byrne this morning. Liam has what Joe Duffy describes as a difficult job. He's a clamper in Dublin. Liam spoke to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line. One of the biggest problems, Joe, is I'm constantly heckled. It's like the movie, you know, Aikino, or it's like, it's like Mattress Mick. Like, if someone was to do a, a skit about clappers or a musical, there'd be like a whole section of a barber barbershop quartet of people going, I'm going to call Joe Duffy, Joe Duffy. That's the biggest threat of all. It's your <laughs> listeners telling so, us they're okay. going to ring you. Okay, if I so, had a euro for every time they said okay. it, I'd have a great night out in Temple Bar for a year. Believe me, and that's a lot of that's okay. A lot so, of euros. so tell us some examples. Okay, you you say you do every which I know you do. You do everything by the book. Uh, of course, some some of the people are judges. Some of the people are guards who get clamped. Some of the people's sons, daughters, husbands, wives, uncles, aunts are guards. Are so. Some of them, it, it could be you. I could actually clamp you, Joe. And uh-huh. what would happen then? So everybody falls victim or under. So it happens to anybody and anybody, unfortunately. Okay, so the rules and the regulations are clear, aren't they? Oh, geez. And we're, we're governed by the National Transit Authority. They don't mess around. That's 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 our greatest fear, aside from Joe Duffy. Aside from you, that's... That's the biggest thing going, you know. We're, we're okay, well regulated. So, so people come back, they see the clamp, they the, they immediately think of a hundred and what's what's the fine now? Hundred and twenty five quid. Well, it isn't. It's a lot of money. There was one gentleman. He had a beautiful SUV, well over a hundred thousand. He had a Louis Copeland suit. He had a Rolex watch. His wife had a diamond ring with a rock on it bigger than a grape. And he said, "How much is that?" And I said, hundred and twenty five euros." Sir. He said, "Hundred and twenty five euros." He went crazy. It's a lot of money to anybody. And what do people do? tell me? What do you get threatened? Oh, geez, people go crazy. I've been told people come up and they say, "I will beat you over the head with a hammer until you go retarded, unless you take that off my bleeping car now." I will beat you over the head with a hammer until you go retarded. <laughs> until you go retarded. That, that was that was one. They say, "Do you drive that van home? Do you park it outside your house?" And what were they saying there? What were they intimating? Well, well, unfortunately, Joe, 
the tempers get the best of a lot of people, and some of the greatest mm. threats those people turn around once they calm down, and they turn out to be a greatest friend. They're quite, they're quite nice. But it's a, it's a quite a shock to come back to your car if you have a child waiting outside school, or you have to go to the hospital, or you have someone waiting on you, and there's a clamp on your car. People snap, and it all depends on the individual who's snapping, really. And when someone said to you, "Do you park your van outside your house?" Were they were they threatening to come to your house? Well, who knows? Okay. Like. It's just, it all depends on the individual. So how do you cope with that? How do you, sorry, how do you handle those situations? Well, how do I handle it? Yeah. Well, it's a dangerous world out there, Joe, you know? Like, how do you handle the thought of terrorists coming into your studio and taking it over and taping you to a seat and just taking over your microphones? Like, it's yeah, out there. Yeah, but there's a chance of that happening or slim. You you haven't yeah, you haven't seen the seen the SWAT team in our reception oh. in the radio. Don't <laughs> <laughs> nothing will get past. People hearing voices from distant. No, but you no, come, come back to your come, you know? come back to your come back to your day to day work. Someone comes yeah. back. They are really they're thinking of to collect kids. I have to be somewhere. They see the yeah, yellow yeah. clamp on the wheel. They see they've got to make a phone call. Get out. Well, the, the first thing we card. do is we we try to find out what happened. We try to find out if it's their fault or if it's our fault. If it's our fault, we want to take it off as fast as possible and, and apologize to them. If it's their fault, we want to try to get them just to sort it out as fast as possible. That's that's the most important thing is getting them back on the road. Okay, so how how do you do that? You you hang around, so do you? In fairness, oh, of course, like of course, like if, if it's like a lot of times, someone's like you said, a, a credit card won't work, or they don't have the money in the bank, yeah, for you, yeah, or yeah. they have to pick someone up. See, wait till they 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 sort it out, or if if it was an error on my part, we wait till we get we get the authorization and we we take it off. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. We might have the reg wrong. They might have the reg wrong. They might pay for a different okay. location, or they might have just like done the wrong thing altogether. If you discover you've made a mistake, you graciously admit it and. Yeah. Well, there's no. There's everything we do is very tr- transparent. We're, we're scrutinized, of course. Yeah. Yeah. No. There's, there's, there's actually a big investigation if, if we make a mistake. Like, okay. Well followed up. A rare insight into the work of a clamper. That's Liam talking to Joe Duffy on this afternoon's Live Line. Finally, on this edition of Playback Daily, some exercise for us all. Chartered physiotherapist and clinical specialist in women and men's pelvic health, Ify Niochi, joined Claire Byrne this morning and she started with some work for the listeners to do. So you want uh, people who are listening to this now to take a little bit of time out and focus on their pelvic muscles. Isn't that right? Exactly, exactly, Claire. I thought we might do a speed pelvic floor training workshop this morning. OK. So the three-week workout in 10 minutes (laughs) something like that Okay that's a challenge for you so where are you going to start with this Okay so let's start with um, you know thinking about you know it's nice weather summer is coming we're all trying to maybe get a little bit fitter and it would be a great idea to add in some pelvic floor muscle training to your other exercise routine Mm -hmm. So let's start you know today Tuesday you know with week one of what you can do There's a fantastic exercise which we call the PFX and this exercise can be done in sitting. It only takes one minute to do and you can do it six times a day. Okay, so what you want to do is for people to develop a little habit here with these exercises, isn't that right? Yes, exactly. And the time spend is only six minutes a day. 
Now, before we talk about the exercise, though, Claire, could we just remind the listeners at home where the pelvic floor is? Mm -hmm. Because it is a mystery to a lot of people. So if you imagine the listeners at home, the area of your body between your waist and the top of your legs, that's where your pelvis is located. It's a circular shaped bone. We all have them, men and women. And the pelvic floor muscles are located in the base of the pelvis or in the floor of the pelvis. So that's where they are. That's what you're training. Yeah, that's where they are. That's the part of the body. So to do the PFX exercise, um, imagine you're in a lift or you're at a party and that there's somebody standing beside you. Don't think you're doing exercises or Kegels. Just imagine you're trying to hold in wind or gas. <laughs> so that's what I want you to be thinking of. And I Sorry, I'm very you... juvenile laughing there, but you know, it is but a no, fart yeah, joke ultimately. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so you tighten the muscles around the back passage as if you're trying to hold in wind. But if the listeners at home could tighten them as quickly as possible, as strongly as possible and hold that squeeze for the count of 10 seconds, Fully relax that squeeze and repeat that three times. That's the PFX. That's the PFX. Now, word of warning, it's done in sitting. Don't have your legs crossed. You know, sit, you know, fairly good posture. But this is an exercise, Claire, that can be done, you know, maybe when you're on your exercise bike, you know, maybe when you're in the car, maybe when you're listening to the radio. And just don't worry at this stage with the PFX if you're holding your breath, because this is early stage training. Don't worry if you feel the tummy muscles tightening or the buttocks. As I say, just imagine you're in the lift, you're trying to hold in wind. OK, I hope that's clear. Just remind us now again, how often do you want people to do that? So if this exercise could be done, in lots of three reps. Hold for 10, rest for 10, three times. That will take one minute. And if you can do it six times a day. That's a lot. Initially, it's, it's a lot. But, but you're, you want people almost to have a, a subconscious habit developed, do you? Yes, yes, so yes we do. It becomes yes, we do. We a need matter of course. To add it in. Yes, as you say, form the routine. So that's week one. That's week one. Moving on then to week two. Now, in week two, we're going to start to target the bladder muscle itself. Now, when the pelvic floor muscles need to be trained, we find the bladder muscle needs to be trained as well. And this will be good for bladder symptoms, bowel symptoms, prolapse, pain, sexual and erectile dysfunction as well. So with this one, the exercise will increase only a little, though, by one minute to seven minutes per day in week two. Now, Two things, two bits of advice. This is actually called bladder retraining, this step, this week two step. So when you're emptying your bladder this week, the listeners at home, I want you to sit on the toilet seat and lean back against the cistern. Take your time when you're emptying your bladder. When you think you're finished, then I want you to lean forward and try to empty again. See, can you pass any extra urine? This is really important. It allows the bladder muscle to contract and relax properly and fully empty the bladder. Do not be in and out of the loo in a nanosecond, spending a quick penny. Just slow the process down a little. That's the first thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing then, the exercise that I want you to do as part of week three, I want you to do it twice in the day before emptying your bladder. 
maybe at mid-morning, mid-afternoon. This is a quick and strong squeeze, again, of the back passage. Imagine you're holding in wind, but it's a quick, short squeeze. And I want you to do seven of these in a row. And I want you to do it, as I said there, before you empty your bladder. And also, the women and men at home can use this if they need to dampen down the urge to go to the bathroom. Let's say, you know, they're going a little bit often, you know, and if if you could be emptying your bladder in or around, you know, every two hours, that would be good. But if you're going more often, this exercise will help you with that. Okay. So that's week two. Yes. So now we're build up. So we're, are we using the PFX yes, and the, the, the bladder exercise there as well? OK, yes. so we've a lot to do now. Yes, yes. It's, it's getting busier, <laughs> yeah. this, uh, this programme, this home pelvic routine, but it's so worth it. Moving on to week three then. The good news is there's no new exercise to add into this routine. You'll be glad to hear listeners at home. Um, This week three is focused on the gut and the bowel side of things. We have a little saying we say all the time, the clinicians, you know, behind every full bladder is a full bowel. So it's really important as well to train these pelvic floor muscles and to train the gut and bowel reflexes. Mm -hmm. So this sort of bowel retraining step is about a couple of things. Now, first of all, can I say I am not a dietitian, but the pelvic physiotherapist is interested in stool consistency because the pelvic floor muscles are designed to empty or evacuate a certain type of stool. So the kind of stool we're looking for, and I want you to observe this in week three of this program, is a stool that's heavy enough in fibre that it sinks. We don't want it floating or bitty. And we need this stool dilated, sort of the diameter of a large sausage. So you're, so you're fussy here now. About, I am about fussy. This. We are fussy. <laughs> we want these muscles to be great. So keep that in mind. Now, the two tips for this week then are, so I want you to eat fruit and veg regularly throughout the day. So let's say two portions of veg at uh, lunchtime and at dinner. That will add in some fibre into the diet. Also, try and have four portions of fruit, maybe at breakfast, mid-morning, mid-afternoon and supper time. A really important thing to say is when you're having the fibre from vegetables and fruit, increase your fluid intake. So, for example, mid-morning, if you're having a cup of tea and a yogurt, maybe in your banana, because you're having a banana, have a little bit more tea. Fibre needs fluid. And this, you will find that this will improve the stool consistency. That's my first tip. Mm-hmm. Second tip then for um, the bowel retraining, the last thing, it's a posture related tip as well. Just like we talked a moment ago about emptying your bladder. So there is a posture that we recommend for emptying the bowel from the pelvic floor muscles point of view. So first of all, you need to get your knees higher than your hips. So listeners at home in your own house, if you had your feet on the height of maybe two toilet rolls, one toilet roll under each foot to raise your knees higher than your hips, then we recommend that you lean forward and that you push when you're emptying your bowel from your rib cage. Don't push from around the back passage. And last thing, we recommend that you sustain this push. Keep this push going for six seconds. And this will give a mechanical advantage. It will take pressure off the muscles and you'll find you're emptying better. So keep in mind those few things. Knees higher than hips, lean forward, push from the rib cage and keep that push going for six seconds. So our diligent students at home now, if they do this over the three week period, Aoife, what sort of improvements should they start to see? Yeah, now I suppose first of all, let's just say, Claire, it does take time to fully train the pelvic floor. In our experience, it can take, you know, most of the people that begin their training, the quickest you will get your pelvic floor in the normal range of function will be six months 
it could take nine and it could take 12. Mm -hmm. But then you'll only have to maintain it. So just keep that in mind. Yes, it's it's not not a a quick quick fix. No, it isn't. But worthwhile, right? That's Chartered Physiotherapist and Clinical Specialist in Women and Men's Pelvic Health, Ife Niyoki, on Today with Claire Byrne this morning with a whole three-week regimen for your pelvis. And that's all I have for you on this edition of Playback Daily. The programme was compiled, written and edited by me, Nilo Shuradon. Don't forget you can listen back to all the programmes featured on Playback Daily on the RTE radio player. And there'll be another episode of Playback Daily at the same time tomorrow. Probably. Until the next time, thank you for listening. And good luck.